Well, last week we started off um, an overview of Luke and Acts, and uh, Lachlan looked at the first three chapters, beginning of chapter four, and looking at it as uh, Luke writing as a defence of the charges against Paul because the, the Jewish people had gone to the Roman authorities with three charges. Third one we don't come to for a few weeks. But the first one was that Christianity isn't Jewish and so the Romans shouldn't give it any, um, any leeway. The second was that it was anarchic. It was against authority. It was a, a challenge to the authority of Rome. And the third one, which I said we're not dealing with today, was that Paul had somehow um, violated the temple. <coughs> so we're having a look at this next two weeks. We're looking at about five chapters. And the first suggestion was that I would do a couple of chapters and we'd do the rest of them next week. But the themes that run through run through all the way. So we're actually, instead of cutting it like that, we're cutting it like this. And so particularly today we're going to look at is Christianity Jewish? And then next week it'll be more on the authority type question. So first of all we have to decide what is the, the Jewish message that the Jewish authorities were saying Christianity was completely at odds with. Well, if we go back to Genesis, when things all started, we have Adam and Eve rebelling against God, going their own way, and it has consequences. They're cut off from God, and the consequences are twofold. First of all, that means death came into the world. So it has eternal consequences that people would be cut off forever. And the other one was our consequences for our life now. Because, because of the fall, we have pain entering the world. We have power struggles between husbands and wives. We have the drudgery, the battle of trying to make ends meet. When we look at the world and we look at all the good things and then we see there's so many bad things, they all come back to being estranged from God, for being out of step with his character, his will. But even then, right from the beginning... God promised to sort it out, that he would sort out the eternal aspect of it and that he would take steps to deal with how we live our lives now in the interim, in a fallen world. And so uh, Adam and Eve, you know, they, made, they sewed aprons together, fig leaves. That wasn't good enough. But God provided something that was good enough and he made clothes for them. And he promised that at some point in the future, one of 
the descendants of the woman would deal with sin and crush it entirely. And so all through the Old Testament we get that, that there is a need for salvation and that God is going to provide it. So here we come to uh, where we left off last week, the beginning of Jesus' ministry. What is fundamental to Jesus' ministry? I think we're going to do this old school with me reading it out. <laughs> Sorry? Oh, uh, okay, it may come up on the screen. But it's not up here. Okay, we're going to get it on the screen. Okay, starting with verse 15 of uh, chapter 4. He taught regularly in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. When he came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home, he went as usual to the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read the scriptures. The scroll of Isaiah the prophet was handed to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where this was written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favour has come. He rolled up the scroll, handed it back to the attendant and sat down. All eyes in the synagogue looked at him intently. Then he began to speak to them. The scripture you've just heard has been fulfilled this very day. And that's where we're stopping just at the moment. So here is Jesus setting out why he is here, what his ministry is. You see at the beginning, it's, he's, it's not the first sermon he did. He'd already been preaching in different synagogues. But Luke's chosen this one for two reasons. Firstly, because it sets out everything that Jesus has in mind, his overview, his mission strategy. And secondly, which we'll get to when we do the second half, um, the response here is different to the other people in the other synagogues. <coughs> so you see here, when he's quoting from Isaiah, there's two elements. Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he's anointed me to bring good news to the poor. So that's the... That's the eternal element, the gospel, the good news, the message of salvation. And then the other ones are to do with how do we live in a fallen world and how he's dealing with that. And we'll get more into that next week with Kerry. But you find, well, what I was suggesting is that During the week, you read this whole passage and have a look out for when Jesus talks about the good news of salvation, when he talks about faith, when there's references to the, um, the, the promises of the Old Testament. And then next week we'll, probably, we'll do it again and look for the things that Kerry's bringing up. But looking through it, the good news. 
as he continued to preach. And people would say, stay longer, stay longer, we want you here. He said, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God in other towns too because that was why I was sent. He had to get on, he had to get on with the good news. <coughs> it's, uh, when it comes to the Beatitudes, God blesses you who are poor for the kingdom of God is yours. Uh, Matthew expands it. He said, the poor in spirit, those who know that they are in need of spiritual life. When uh, Jesus called Matthew, also called Levi, the tax collector, he gathered them together. Um, uh, well, Matthew threw a party when he asked, he was asked to become a disciple. Um, can we skip to that passage, please, uh, Josh? That's um, chapter 5, verse 27 to 31. Later, as Jesus left the town, he saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be by my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Levi got up, left everything and followed him. Later, Levi had a, held a banquet in his home with Jesus as the guest of honour. Many of Levi's fellow tax collectors and other guests also ate with them. But the Pharisees and their teachers of religious law complained bitterly to Jesus' disciples. Why do you eat and drink with such scum? Jesus answered them, Healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I have come... Oh, we haven't got the next... The next verse is, I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners and need to repent. So it's not that he's saying, I'm not calling those who are righteous. I'm not calling those who think they're righteous. The good news is for those who know that they need God in their life, that they need the spiritual gap bridged. They need to be forgiven and brought back to God. When later in his ministry, John the Baptist's disciples um, came to Jesus to find out whether he was the Messiah, or should they be looking for someone else? And he took them and he let them see what he was doing. Go back to John, tell him what you have seen and heard. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised to life, and the good news is preached to the poor. And tell him, God blesses those who do not turn away from me. See, he's fulfilling what he set out in that first sermon at Nazareth. He was bringing the good news to those who are spiritually poor. And he was dealing with the consequences of sin in a broken world. 
But there's another aspect of this. So we'll go back to uh, Luke and, uh, and take it up from where he starts preaching. Because uh, the pe- people in the synagogue of Nazareth responded differently. They started off very positive. They said, yeah, yeah, this is good. But that faded away. So from verse 22... Everyone spoke well of him and was amazed by the gracious words that came from his lips. How can this be? They asked. Isn't this Joseph's son? Then he said, you will undoubtedly quote me this proverb, physician, heal yourself, meaning do miracles here in your hometown like those you did in Capernaum, which is the next major town. I tell you the truth, no prophet is accepted in his own hometown. Certainly there were many needy widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the heavens were closed for three and a half years and a severe famine devastated the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them. He was instead sent to a foreigner, a widow of Zarephath in the land of Sidon. And many in Israel had leprosy in the time of the prophet Elisha, but the only one healed was Naaman, a Syrian. When they heard this, the people in the synagogue were furious. See, the important, an important aspect of salvation is faith. And the people of Nazareth didn't have faith. In fact, I think it's in Matthew, but uh, another recording of this says that Jesus, when he left Nazareth, he was amazed at their lack of faith. They were listening to him, they were looking at him, but all they could see was an ordinary fellow, someone who had grown up in their town, and so they wouldn't listen. They wouldn't have faith. They wouldn't trust his message of salvation, reconciliation. And as we look through Luke, we find that the problem with some of the uh, Jewish people, certainly most, a lot of the Jewish leaders, was that they never grasped what Judaism was about in the first place. They never realised that faith was always the important thing in the Old Testament. Because you look through the Old Testament and you see Abraham was was put right because of his faith. They thought, well, if we're descendants of Abraham, you know, if we can trace our lineage back, we're right. But no, it's it's not the bloodline. It's the line of faith. And all through the Old Testament, it's faith whether they're Jewish people or non-Jewish people, it's faith that God's interested in and it's faith that allows salvation to work in our lives. (coughs) There's a whole string of healings 
of miracles that Jesus does in this passage from Luke. And often you'll see that it talks about faith. Your faith has made you well. The, uh, the woman at the house of Simon the Pharisee who um, washed Jesus' feet and poured her per- perfume on him, kissed his feet, she was told. Sorry, where are we going to find it? Let's have a look. Jesus said of her, I tell you, her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven. So she has shown me so much love. But a person who is forgiven little shows little love. Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. And he goes on to say to the woman, your faith has saved you, go in peace. Jesus' message, yes. Sinfulness, rebellion against God, that's important. It has to be dealt with. But trust me, there is salvation. There's salvation if you trust me. We look through, there was a a Roman centurion. And Jesus said, look, I haven't, the faith that he has, I've never seen anything like it in Israel. He wanted Jesus to heal his slave. And as Jesus was on the way, he sent a message saying, don't bother coming to my house, I don't deserve it. Just say the word, I know what authority is. Um, you say it and, and the slave will be healed. Jesus said, that's faith. See, it didn't matter whether they were Roman or whether they were Jewish. What mattered was, did they have faith in Jesus? Because then salvation came to all of them. And then right at the end of... Uh, towards the end of this passage in chapter 9. It's the transfiguration. I don't think... I don't know if we've got a picture or not. Lachlan was going to get one, but he's sick. Um, But you remember the transfiguration, Jesus and the disciples went up a mountain by themselves and Moses and Elijah appeared and Jesus shone with glory. And Moses and Elijah were talking to Jesus. And often we say, well, Moses represents the first five books of the Old Testament, the law. Elijah represents the prophets. Another way of looking at that is saying that Moses represents the need for salvation that points out our sinfulness, our estrangement from God. And the prophets point out God's promise to bring that salvation, to put things right, to put us right with God, and that some time in the future someone will come, the Messiah, to set things right. And at the end of that, there's a voice from heaven. This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. 
Now, that appears twice before. That's the same thing that is said at Jesus' baptism by John in the river. But it's also a quote from the Old Testament, from Psalm chapter 2. Let's have a look at that. For the Lord declares, I have placed my chosen king on the throne in Jerusalem on my holy mountain. The king proclaims the Lord's decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. This is a a quote about the coming Messiah. This is God saying that Jesus is the king of the kingdom of God. All through it, we're talking about the good news of the kingdom of God. Jesus is the king of the kingdom of God. I'd like to finish. Oh, um, I'd like to finish. I don't know if it's... uh, Did you get the split screen thing for the end there, Josh? I wanted to have a look at this passage that Jesus read with uh, the original quote from Isaiah beforehand. Did we get that on the screen or not? No. All right. Okay. So from Isaiah 61, you see, it's a very short passage that Jesus read. It was only two verses. But actually, it's not even two verses. So from Isaiah 61. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me, for the Lord has appointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted and to proclaim that captives will be released and prisoners will be freed. He has sent me to tell those who mourn that the time of the Lord's favour has come and with it the day of God's anger against their enemies. See that last bit? With it, the day of God's anger against their enemies. Jesus left that bit off. Not by mistake, he stopped when it got to the day of judgment, rolled up the scroll and put it down. Then he said, today is the day. Today is the day for the salvation. It's not the day of judgment. One day it will be. One day it will be, but not now. Now is the day of salvation. We had a look at John 3.16 a few a couple of months ago, I think. Oh, it's wrong book. Is this passage here. You know, God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world but to save the world through him. Judgment will come but 
Jesus is in no hurry. He wants us all to take up the salvation he's offering. He wants us all to get on the right side of him. Now's the opportunity. Now's the time, while we can, to trust in Jesus, to accept that salvation and to know that future condemnation we don't have to worry about anymore. So I'll urge you to have a look at these, um, Luke chapter 4 through to the end of chapter 9. It sounds a lot. It's only, uh, you know, it would only be one chapter in most of the books that you read. It sounds a lot, but go through it and see where Jesus is talking about the good news of salvation. See where he's talking about faith. And see where he's talking about how that fits in with everything God has said already in the Old Testament. Okay. That's uh, where we'll finish today. And just before we have our announcements, I might just close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you that Jesus brings to us salvation. that he frees us from the penalty of sin, that he reconciles us with God from whom we've been estranged. That he fulfills all the promises of the Old Testament. And we ask, Lord, that we may respond in faith to what Jesus has done and look to see what he has in plan for us, living in a fallen world. Amen.